0: You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. In this episode, I speak with my good friend, Billy Ingram,
1: who is the Director of Lean Product and Process Development at Interface. We discussed his process improvement background prior to arriving at Interface 25 years ago. Then we talk about his current work that is extending the environmental sustainability vision that was provided by the founder of Interface, Ray Anderson. He has helped develop more sustainable carpet products, but also incorporated more social responsibility into these projects, along with using best practices and process improvement. We also discuss how he shows respect for people by giving his staff opportunities to learn and develop their skills. There's also a video available on YouTube. You can find the link to it in the show notes. Thanks.
2: Well, you, uh, yeah, first thing you asked me about was what my background was and kind of, and I know everybody's got a different way to get into lean or Six Sigma, you know. So, my background was uh, I came out of the textile industry back in the late 80s and 90s. So, um, I was working there and I, was, I went through college. And uh, it, so, so, short story NAFTA kind of collapsed all that. And uh, so, I found myself looking for work because I was laid off and didn't have a, didn't have a job. And, uh, so, um, uh, so I went through that and, uh, and I got hired on in an automotive plant, like a tier one automotive plant. So it was a completely radically different culture change and not really for the positive. It was, it was, it was a little harsh. So, uh, but the good news was, is because the culture wasn't all that great, they had a really strong training program. And they trained uh, really in lean, uh, six sigma. I remember this is around 93, 94. So it's that time period. Um, so they, they trained. And and I was, you know, at the time, I was, I wouldn't say I was unaware of it, but I didn't, I didn't key on it. I'm well, a, I'm is was there-
1: background yeah what was your
2: background I'm cool. i'm a business major um and all of my experience until i went to automotive was uh in textiles and actually towel making carry cloth towels you can believe that so so um of course i got to automotive and it was super different you know but uh but i began working and learning the link that was kind of like modules that we had it was pre-recorded and you know, they're about thirty minutes or an hour a piece, and you would take it at the end. You take a, uh, you know, a test to say, "Hey, I understood this," but uh, but I took it, and it really kind of clicked with me, and uh, and I began trying to apply that as a supervisor and then as a department manager, and uh, and then I got to, you know the industrial engineering manager left, and again, I'm a business major, but they said, "Hey, you know, you seem like you're pretty bright," you know. Would you like to try industrial engineering? I was like, okay, well, yeah, that sounds great. What is it? And uh, so, uh, so, again, they had some on-the-job training, so I got all the basics in industrial engineering trained for over the next year. Um, so, so that's where I got kind of started in lean and continuous improvement. And this company I worked for at the time was a private company. So two brothers owned the company. So, you know, every time we run a project that would, you know, improve productivity or decrease waste or scrap or off quality, you know, they literally just made more money per part. And they just absolutely loved it. They weren't very nice, but they loved it. You know, they're like, hey, bring me some more money. <laughs> so it was pretty straightforward. And, uh, and that was where I got my, my start with that. And I, I practiced all of the things that I learned. I practiced them in a, and uh, uh, so I was, like I said, I was an industrial engineering manager there for a while about, you know, and my job was to set standards and time studies, you know, parts and material usage and and process flows. When I was in assembly, I actually used a lot of the lean work. So back in that timeframe, the Ford Explorer was a, was hugely popular and they had projected, you know, to sell like, Tens of no, let's just say thousands of these things every month, and it wound up they were selling like 50,000 of these every month some crazy amount of, of parts. So, so it's kind of like that episode of SpongeBob, you know, where, he, where Mr. Krabs pays SpongeBob to go out and catch jellyfish. I don't know if you've seen that, but he said, You know, what a, what about more? Don't you understand, SpongeBob? Well, this is what the, <laughs> these guys were. <laughs> uh, so it's just about producing more, and more, and more. So, so my my probably my crowning achievement there was actually increasing the the Explorer assembly line productivity by three hundred and thirty six percent in one year. So, which was, was just using lean tools. So that's that's kind of where my background started with lean and how I got into it. Yeah,
1: that's that's great. Was that also like? or was your um, company driving that down, um, the use of those tools and methods, or it was just because it worked? How was that no, driven? Was,
2: no, it was required. It was absolutely a requirement of your job. And I, I'll not forget this because we had various, we had metrics that were set by our uh, by our leadership at the time. And the truth of the matter is, is it was pretty, pretty harsh, uh, and this was kind of their rule. The rule was as long as you improve every month, you get to keep your job. Yeah. So, like 1% a month is it, you keep your job forever. But, you know, it's first time you go the other way, you know, you did, you know, two or three months of that in a row get you fired. And they were they were dead serious about it. So, it wasn't anything positive about that. Uh, so, if that answers your question, that's why I was saying it wasn't a super great environment.
1: Yeah, so the customer's driving a lot of that usage, but it also is working for the most part and you're learning Mm basically skills. Okay. Did you Mm go back to school for industrial engineering or are you just learning it on the job?
2: No, it was just literally on the job training. They had like a paid for like they had a outside group they had bought training from in one of the modules, and it was actually like six or ten modules, you know. Hey, you take this and this will teach you how to be an industrial engineer. So, uh, and that's what I did. And that's where I learned how to do that. And, it, you know, it wasn't super complicated, but, uh, but nevertheless, it was something I didn't understand. And I put that into practice as well. And that's kind of followed me along through my career. So, when I went to work in the automotive industry, about two weeks later, my full time job was finding another job. And it just, It took me about five or six years to find another job. Actually, it wasn't that long. It just felt like five or six years. It was really more along the lines between like 93 and 97. So in December of 97, I had sent out just some resumes randomly, and one of them happened to land on the industrial engineer manager's desk at Interface through about four hands. And so so this lady interviewed me and hired me and uh and of course i came to work at interface then uh unbeknownst to her to her she she paid me you know almost double what i was making in the automotive place because i you know i did, i didn't mention to you earlier but i was about to starve to death too working <laughs> but it was better than starving to death you know about to starve to death is better than starving to death so <laughs> so uh so anyway i got to a uh, i got to interface and uh You know, it was almost like a, it was such a big difference from a cultural standpoint that I I went through a period of culture shock somewhat, uh, you know, because it was not, it was not negative. It was very positive. Um, They were working on continuous improvement heavily at the time and and, in continuous improvement mode. Their program at the time was called Quest, Quality Utilizing Employee Suggestions and Teamwork and uh and it was fairly well structured it had it had kind of reached its pinnacle and was on the down end by the time i got here or going or declining in popularity
1: And that was 97 you said that was
2: 97. You, have you ever heard the story about the the engineers that uh i think it was ge the running joke was they hire that i think uh, maybe maybe it's wrong but it's a story anyway at some company that you know they had the junior engineers come in and they give them the project to frost the inside of a light bulb. A vacuum sealed light bulb.
1: Okay.
2: And uh, and of course the reason they gave him this project because it was a great joke, right? It was funny. You know, they would work on it for three months It wouldn't get anywhere. It kind of kind of putting them into place yeah. until the guy actually invented a way to frost <laughs> inside the light bulb. So uh so, anyway, that's uh, that's kind of been a little bit of my experience at Interface. I think they gave me a project to improve beaming. It was a process to get yarn aligned on a big metal spool to be able to get a tufter, which is like a giant sewing machine with a thousand needles, like, side by side. So, a beam fed yarn through these needles to make carpet, just like a sewing machine does. So, the... the uh, and my job, my first major project was to improve beaming, and I went and worked on it for probably about six months, and I came to the conclusion that it wasn't much I could do to improve it other than just something marginal. So, uh, so, uh, so I went and asked, and this is before. Uh, since then, I've had a lot of innovation training and, and practice, and and as uh, yes, you're well aware, scissor training. But at the time I didn't have any of that. I had this lean and six sigma skill set, an industrial engineering skill set, and you know, kind of limited experience because I was still relatively new in my career, you know. So I began asking people, you know, how would you produce this material? How would you produce carpet if you had what's the ideal method? Every single one of them said the same thing. They said we would use a creel, which is basically something that keeps the yarn on the on the cardboard package and instead of putting it onto a big metal beam it would keep it on the package because it, it runs better and then every single one of them also said but we can't do that because it's too big we can't fit it in our plant all these things in our plant so so anyway i i, I took the time to sit down and said, well What makes sense to me is if I had a big ball of yarn, it would all fit in this one spot. You know, 500 pounds of yarn would be a ball, you know, five foot tall and five foot around. So, and that's not very useful, but it gave me conceptually a way to say, hey, it'll fit in this spot. So can we fit it in this spot and still make it useful? Long story short, I came up with a different type of piece of equipment that was, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, that was unique and proprietary. So, uh, and of course, uh, me again, not being very experienced, I thought, wow, you know, everybody will see this idea and they'll think this is the best thing ever, and everybody will agree with it." <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: exactly you're, what I laughed at. You were early in your career.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I was just super naive, Um but I learned very quickly that that's not the way that works. So uh, but I, but I would say that the prototype we built, you know, I was able to get enough influence to build a prototype, put it on the machine, and test it, and it worked as designed. So uh, and then, of course, five years later, after every kind of mad uh, resistance, as you can imagine, had been put in place, you know, we finally got the process installed, which was, uh, it was very difficult. It was a, it was a traumatic time. I thought, you know, it's kind of like out of the frying pan of automotive and into the fire of, of this new carpet making facility. But, uh, but the, on the, on the, on the all, uh, if I look at everything holistically, it was actually a really good experience and a really wonderful learning opportunity. So, uh, and any horse, you know, obviously builds a lot of confidence when you actually have some success. Anyway,
1: so but that's us, how I got
2: uh, into the carpet industry.
1: Yeah, tell us a little bit more about Interface for those that might not know about
2: it. Well, you called us that caught me at the perfect time, okay? Because literally this month is the 50th anniversary of Interface. Wow. It was established in, in April of 1973. Wow. It was uh, So that's when it was first started, and uh, we're celebrating that this month and, of course, this year. But, uh, you know, Ray Anderson was the founder, and he uh, came from a local, another uh, group here that was making carpet. And uh, he saw some technology that he thought would fundamentally change how, how carpet was made. He just happened to, to see some patents when he was doing some research one day. He, and he, he thought it was so promising that he decided that he would leave the company he was at and start a new company partnering with this group out of the UK called Carpets International. Um, and he started there. And of course it was like, run like any other company until about 1993 or four. And uh, some customers asked him what kind of, what he was doing for the environment and uh, he had asked that a couple of times that year. And in his words, he didn't have an answer for it because he was like, I don't I don't know what you, what do they want me to say? You know, we're making money. We're doing great, you know. But uh, so he read a book by Paul Hawkins called The Ecology of Commerce. And when he read it, he described it as being a spear in the chest that he was very convicted by after reading the book that that he was doing business in a, in a wrong way. So, uh, so after that, literally he called, I think like the next week, after he read that he called all of his board together and all of his senior executives, and said, Hey, we're going to be a sustainable company. Y'all get busy figuring out what that means. And I'm going to help you and I'm going to make sure we get there. And of course they all looked at each other and thought maybe it had a stroke or something and, <laughs> you know, because it was so ir- radical at the time, you
1: know? Yeah. At that uh, time, that was unheard of. I think they're probably one of the first companies to, or at least large companies that have really made a sustainability <laughs> pledge or something that says we're going to try to minimize our impact environment. That's fucking, yeah.
2: 30 years ago. Yeah, it was crazy. And, uh, of course, you know, here I come rolling in about 1997 and they just, just really start getting this started. Um, but, yeah, he was very much uh, uh, a visionary in that regard. not not only did he say, "Hey, we need to do this the right way, but you know when he started studying sustainability, he said, "You know, we got you know we can't just do the right thing by the environment. You know we have to be economically viable, and we have to be you know socially viable as well. so uh, and of course, they went about trying to figure out what that was. Um, how did you, how do you find that? And back then, as you, you're probably aware of studying, it, uh, that, that time of history. And, and I was in the middle of living some of that time of history. And, uh, you know, it was a different time where a lot of these definitions that we kind of take for granted now didn't exist. You know, they were being formed, which is pretty cool, but, uh, I don't know. It was a little bit like living in the wild west. You didn't know what was coming next. You know? Yeah. but yeah so that so that's what interface has been about and since then so so just name off some of the major milestones we've had in recent years we completed uh, our first mission which was to be short story is to be carbon neutral so we were able to accomplish that in 2019 right before the pandemic kind of got started and uh so that was one. And most recently, you know, a lot, of our, a lot of our new products coming out are actually carbon negative in what we're working with. And, of course, we spend a lot of time evaluating our footprint as we're going through not just manufacturing, but supply chain and how our, our raw materials are made, how they're transported. And then uh, we haven't really talked about the end of life part of it yet. No, uh, so we haven't. Get, at least, not not that I'm aware of. I'm sure that somebody's talking about it in the face because there's a lot of people working on a lot of things. But uh, but some of our milestones have been pretty incredible. You know, we've you can go to our website and get this uh, without having to listen to me babble around about it. But we've we've decreased our water usage by like 85 percent. Decreased our waste of landfill by, you know, 90%. You know, just some crazy numbers that you can't imagine happening at a company. And it was really just, it was not any one big thing. It was really about, you know, working diligently towards a goal over 30 years, if that makes sense. And, of course, I've been here 25 of those years at Interface myself. So, And I was in different parts involved in some of it, and some of it I wasn't, you know. But this is, uh, this is what happens when you get a group of people together with a common vision and mission that all are pursuing one thing.
1: And leadership support.
2: That's right. And yet, you know, a leader that says, yeah, this is what we're going to do. You know, this is the right thing to do, and we're going to do it because it's the right thing. Yeah. So, what are
1: and some need- of the other roles that you've had? And what are you doing now?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, like I said, I was hired as an industrial engineer, or maybe I didn't say that. So I did that for three or four years. And then um, and then they found out that I had an operations background, like an operations manager background. So I went into several different roles in operations uh, management. Um, and then I spent some time in uh, IT as an ERP implementation uh, specialist or functional analyst, I guess, would be the closest thing that we described three or four years doing that. Um, I was exploring that as a career path until I found out that it was not what I really wanted to do. So it took me that long to get out of it after I decided I was going to do that. (laughs) But uh, so I went into, I worked some with our our sustainability metrics at the time. After that, I spent some time in operational planning. So think about strategic planning, uh, working in that arena or being responsible for that arena. And then for the last 12 years, 11, I guess, I've been in uh, product development uh, with different, uh, different levels of responsibility there. So today I'm responsible for new product development or destructive testing laboratory where we test new products and then also commercial sampling. So think about the sales enablement arm from samples operation, pick and back sample operation. So that's what I do today, but uh, but I have some. I work with some really great people. Uh, we spend a ton of time and money investing in the training, and and uh, and really have some great leaders there. So I spend most of my time working on projects, uh, coaching, mentoring, um, really trying to create opportunities for for our people that that I have responsibility for, and and some other groups too that are interested. So that's what I really do day to day is spend a lot of time, in our words, trying to create opportunities for people.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really great how much you kind of carve out time for personal development and learning skills and then giving people the opportunity to pursue that, and, but not making them or dictating that to them. It's like, here are some things you can learn if you want to move up and, and make a difference here. This is what it's going to take. Are you interested? And if not, no problem. Um,
2: yeah, No, no, you're dead on. The, <clears throat> and, you know, it's interesting because I use my Lean Six Sigma skill set, really more lean than Six Sigma, but, it, you know, I'm not a purist, so we use whatever tools happens to, to work for us at the time, you know, whatever we can get to work. Um. So, we used that in the beginning to create a lot of margin, just like any good lean or Six Sigma practitioner would, right? We look at the processes, we create margin, we, we improve reliability um, so that we'll have that time, uh, that space to actually create. And, you know, kind of like, so, so from a high level, we think of it like this. So you already got your money and these people are already here know, what can we enable them to do? And and again, you brought up a very good point. Uh, we do allow for choice. And we use a lot of the principles out of the book called Influencer and Tribal Leadership. Uh, we practice those. I practice them daily. And allow for choice is one, because it creates a, uh, we call it confirming commitment or creates individual accountability and engagement because there are people who don't want that level of opportunity or who, who just want to come to work every day and, you know, do their job and go back home. And, and, and here's the thing. We have jobs like that for people, but we also have jobs for people who, who want to, oh, sorry. We create opportunities and roles and jobs for people who want to learn and grow, we'll make sure we provide that time on the job for them to learn and grow and And what we found is that whatever money we invest, you know, we get back three or four or five times return on the money. Every time we invest in someone, we get back. That's just kind of a minimum. We didn't really expect it, but, you know, that's what we can see from our data. Every time we work with a group, you know, obviously we're using the influence we create. We encourage and I use that influence to try to get people to take advantage of opportunities the best we can measure. And this is this isn't formal, but this is uh, us looking at engagement as you as any person would and saying, are they actively engaged? Are they are they disengaged or are they actively disengaged? So we have a, somewhere between 70 and 80 percent engagement in the areas that we offer this opportunities
0: in. If you like this topic, please check out the Lean Six Sigma for Good book series with the subtitle Lessons from Legimba. We have recently released Volume 2 in paperback and ebook, and we will have the audiobook ready later in 2023. Volume 1 is already available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Within each volume, there are eight chapters written by different Lean Six Sigma practitioners who have applied their skills to nonprofits, NGOs, not for profit organizations, and government agencies. Proceeds from the book sales are split evenly and go to the nonprofit selected by each author. Go to Lean Six or search Amazon for Lean Six Sigma for good to find the book series. These books make a great gift for your process improvement team or someone you know who works in a not-for-profit organization.
2: And uh, and when we say engagement, I don't mean that they're just doing what's on the job description network. We define engagement as they're doing their best work by all means at the level they're capable of. You know, because people have different abilities and different levels of ability, right? So by saying best work, then that that gets away from having a finite measurement because what may be the best work for you may be different for me because we have different skill sets, different experience, and different levels of training. So that's – uh, I, I don't know if it's unique, but I haven't found other people that's doing this type of – or might be thinking of it this way or working through it this way. I love to because I love to compare notes with them, but it's kind of lonely – Sometimes when you buy yourself, but, uh, but nevertheless, it's working good so far. We're getting some great results uh, and and you're dead on. We use a lot of other influence techniques. One of the other big ones I I practice almost every day is demonstrating sacrifice. So anytime you sacrifice your time, your money, your ego, or your priorities for someone else, then you have the opportunity to create influence with them and in our case we teach our leaders and so so I talk about creating influence with others but to what end you now what's the end of creating influence now I'm not trying to manipulate people so so we use social responsibility principles as our kind of like our plumb bob and our uh, level and we so we hold our leaders and I hold myself to this being accountable transparent ethical and I'm required to respect the other stakeholders with, with whom I, I'm either going to engage or impact. So, and, and of course, there's three more, obviously, three more principles, as you know. So I'm trying to respect international norms of behavior, respect human rights. So the last one is respect for the rule of the law. That's what outlaws don't remember that one. No. <laughs> uh, but the but these are the things we key on. So why would you create influence except if you're going to do the right thing with it, right? So, now for me personally, this aligns with my beliefs, which makes it very easy for me to follow. You know, I wouldn't be able to follow it if it if it if it was at odds with my personal beliefs. So, and the thing is that this is in with most people's personal beliefs. It's aligned with most mission and vision statements so it's, it's a it's a real easy way to give people some basic principles to follow that they can actually practice every day and of course obviously the more you practice this the better your culture gets right because um, everybody generally wants to be treated the w- way they want to you know they want to be treated in a good way and that's the way that you should expect them to treat others i know that sounds a little bit far-fetched but that's what we're doing yeah. so
1: yeah, you know, it's 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 amazing. Um, and so how would you say, like, being an interface allowed you to either tap into those personal beliefs? Or do you think you brought that with you and they were able to try and like, pull that out of you in your, in a work environment? Because I think a lot of people, unfortunately, don't feel like they can bring that part of them or feel like they have to stifle some of that. Um, Piece when they go to their job. And I think that not only are they uh, interfacing accomplishments and sustainability, but also a, it ties in nicely with engagement and and feeling like you can bring your full self to work. Um, so how do you think that worked in connection with each other or not, maybe separate?
2: Well, here's the thing is that it hasn't always worked here. Um, But because I had a good lean skill set, this is why, you know, and this is why I shared what I did at Lean Six Sigma World Conference. Because I think people that have the Lean Six Sigma skill set already, or any type of continuous improvement skill set, let me just say it that way. And I won't just talk about just Lean Six Sigma. Yeah. But if you have that already, then you have the ability to create margin, at least economically, right? So, when you're able to create economic margin, then, then a lot of times the easier sell is to create the margin, and basically say, "Hey, I can create this margin. Can I can I keep some of this for myself?" And and as a rule, you know, if you think about it, most people, most if even if you're talking to senior leaders, are uh, they're they're aware enough to know that you know, yes, you know, you I get the eighty percent, and you keep the twenty. Now, because otherwise you don't get the eighty percent again. You know that's how continuous improvement programs fail, right? So, uh, so that's a, that's part of it. Is you can use that. Um, so, so just so you'll know, I don't necessarily have corporate level support. This was started in the middle. So I thought that the scissor process or, or the scissor method, which is continual improvement for social responsibility, it filled a gap that I had in my skill set. So, so this is no egotistical statement here, okay? But this is just a fact. When I got to Interface, and, and of course, I'm a practicing Lean Six Sigma person. So I have a lot of experience, and, uh, and, and I feel very confident of being able to pretty much just go anywhere I want to and, and be able to create some kind of improvement method, right? And that's all economic. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm very comfortable in that realm. And since I work at Interface and everybody talks about sustainability, which most people, they equate sustainability with environment. no, you know, and then, oh, yeah, and it's also economic. But, but what they don't do is you never hear them mention social. Sorry, they might mention social, but if you start actually trying to find something social that they're doing, it's hard to find, right? So uh, – well I had this same gap. You know how I recognized this was really interesting is that I was actually I came back from vacation. I love to take my vacation around you know th- uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas because it's wintertime I like being outside and like to be, I like to hunt and stay outside and work in a farm you know and uh, I came back to work you know and I, I'd had all this time by myself and I was being retrospective and kind of introverted and just thinking through. So I was looking at the projects. This was 2015. And I had attempted six projects. Yet I was only successful with three. And uh, I started off like everybody else does. And I was trying to understand why the other three failed. And I thought, well, you know, it ain't the idea. You know, the idea was pretty sound. Um, It's, uh, you know, was there. Was there any kind of issue with the equipment or was there any kind of issue environmentally? So I actually took sustainability just in a conceptual form and said, all right, do I have, if this was going to be a sustainable solution, if these projects, I'm going to just evaluate them through that lens. Economically, is this project viable? Yes. Environmentally, is this project viable? Yes. Socially, is this project viable? So it, it occurred to me then, I did not even have a means to measure it or understand that. So in that that course, for me, this is a gap in understanding. So as a learner, I said, okay, well, I got to figure out some way to fill this gap. So I began searching for a way to fill this gap and, you know, pro- through Providence, uh, ran into Holly at Hallie Ducksworth at a, at a Lean Six Sigma conference. Actually, it's the Lean Six Sigma World Conference, believe it or not. And uh, luckily I was in front of her speaking and I was talking about what I knew about Lean Six Sigma and sustainability. And then she went up right right behind me speaking and she was talking about the PhD level work she had done and the book she just written on sustainability using Lean Six Sigma. Because if she had went in front of me, I would have just left like I was (laughs) sick, because obviously she knew more about it than I had ever dreamed that was even imaginable. And believe it or not, after the event, she actually came up to me and said, hey, would you be interested in taking this training? And I'll be honest, I was a little bit, I don't know what the right word is for it, but intimidated might have been the right word, because she knew so much more about it than me. She was just as polite and nice. And, of course, through her, I met Andrea Hoffmeyer, and, uh and you know, my question was, Hey, she said, Hey, would you be interested in taking this training? And I said, sure. How much does it cost? She said, Oh no, it's free. If you just give us your feedback. So <laughs> because I don't have any money. <laughs> so, uh, so I started taking that training in 2016, uh, 15, 16. And this, this was a beta. So since then, they started off with a a black belt level course, which is the first one I take. I was in the beta of that, and then they came up with a master black level black belt level course. I took that, and uh, and I was the only non belt in the class, believe it or not, uh, in both those classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but again, it hit dead center what I needed from from an understanding standpoint. So I learned how to uh, align stakeholders. To recognize resistance to uh, you know a lot of the things that's common with Six Sigma you know understand risk and create uh, risk mitigation plans and the uh, uh, but what I can't so so over time we've been practicing this inside of uh, our product development group again without really corporate support but you know our corporate folks love what we're doing they love the results we're getting but you know they don't really understand a lot of what we're doing all the time and you know and and granted, so they've been they've been really nice to uh, allow us the autonomy to move forward and keep pursuing this and to keep training and to keep funding us. you know, Of course, you know, we're doing our part and being accountable to make sure we keep keep producing returns so we can have the level of autonomy we have to experiment and move down this road. Um, and And the beginning of that was project success. But we've evolved a lot since then into some some things that uh, that I, it was unexpected for me. Um, and I don't want to just keep on jabbering. It seems like you got a question.
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, I was just trying to back up a little with the types of projects you're doing. Um, so you're in design development role or R and D, a little bit of both, right? So mm-hmm. as people are coming through with new products, you're helping with these projects to try and do that. So you're almost uh, way early on this to try and set up some of the social responsibility, sustainability piece into the product, and also probably bringing some of your Lean Six Sigma hat that says, if we do it this way, it's going to be more efficient, it's going to be less cost, it's going to run better, it's going to have higher yields, it's going to be faster turnaround times. Um, So way, way earlier than most people are practicing Lean and Six Sigma methods. And then you're adding into this, this social responsibility piece, sustainability on top of that, which I think is very unique. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of make sure that was really clear for everybody. And I don't know if there's like an example project you could share that help people understand kind of the type of projects to do.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably some of the best projects and and just to give you some, some experience insight here, um one of the so i worked with the design studio one of the custom design studio which is in the building that now as i say i work with them i work with them as a uh, as a facilitator to try to help them improve their processes and uh the most interesting thing about that is they had no preconceived knowledge of lean or six sigma they didn't have any idea what it meant what it was they didn't understand any of the terms i used so i would have to be super generic in trying to apply this with them but then for the most uh, most refreshing blessing you can ever have they absolutely had zero resistance to any of the ideas they would just say okay what do you what do you you know how do you think we should solve this problem so for instance one part they had uh, um their their orders were coming in and they were basically unorganized. So they set up a Kanban pull system in a custom design studio and it worked textbook like any pull Kanban should work. There was no resistance. They thought it was the best thing since sliced bread and they used it and it was extremely effective. So it took them, so just to give you some, some results here, their average turnaround time was four to five days and it took them down to next day delivery, from a custom design standpoint, it cut out two whole working days out of the week, every week, which they spent on project work and collaboration, um, and of course, obviously doing more custom work because obviously the, their quality of work would improved as well. So uh, so it's just a wonderful experience. And, uh, and then of course, in the uh, standard product realm which is what i'm responsible for we've spent all this time and training to make sure that our so so in the last seven years we've set up a or actually eight now we've set up a a a rapid prototyping facility where the primary focus to begin with was enabling stakeholders the designers themselves to build better products Um, and and we did everything that uh so to your point, the role that we have of our people today, and it's structured very differently than, than you would think. So in our area, all of our people are, uh, all of our people are salaried, not exempt, uh, um, which is very different from an hourly type, you know, workforce, even though that's where they came from. So, so this is a grand experiment to be able to have them where the motivation was to do the right thing correctly every time and attempt to improve it. Um, so, so they've been working with their designers so that back in that day, it would take us anywhere from six to 12 weeks to get a product trial completed. Today, we can complete the product trials in the same day from the design request, and uh, which gives our, our, our designers that means more time iterations to try to figure out how to make better products. And of course, with a the, with the high level of training and investment we have with our people, their skill set is surged, not just understanding how to use the equipment better, but also understanding how to engage their stakeholders better from a customer mindset. Um, so those are two of the examples in, in design and product development that uh, I think are pretty unique in, in the, I wouldn't say they were, the, the custom design studio was pretty easy. It was actually a breath of fresh air compared to some of the others. But uh, so those are two good examples. And uh, the other thing I, I can't leave out of this conversation is the cultural shift that we have. So, you know, we, we, we're not using it today, but at the time we used the Gallup Strength Finders uh, engagement survey. So in the in the three years between 2015, actually it was 2015, 2019, so it was four years, but we were only working on this for two of it. So we were able to improve the scores on this engagement survey by about 30% in our area. And it was really because of the work we're doing with investing and training them to understand how to be socially responsible and then really setting a new set of expectations around that. So, um, which that was the first clue. So we went from saying, all right, you know, Hey, yay. We can predict when we're going to be successful with projects. We can predict when they're going to fail, you know, so we can be really successful with project management. Wait a minute. You know, there's this other higher level thing, which is, Oh, we can purposefully, improve culture by running projects so since then i've been working on studying how do you purposefully transform culture and that's that's what i spend a lot of my time doing today is i work with the leaders i have in these areas to shift culture over time you know we use again no i'm not purist, so i use lean six sigma we use scissor Um, We use uh, um, uh, influencer, tribal leadership, and of course, you're aware we use multiple innovation frameworks like trees and biomimicry for innovation sessions. Um, But over the last, just to give you some some stats here, over the last eight years, so today in product development, we have nine, uh, sorry, seven black belts and six master black belts including myself, and then we have, I don't know, another dozen green belts, and then we have the samples area, the commercial samples area. They're the newest group, and we're hopeful to start our training of them this month in the – about half of them in the green belt training, and uh, part of this training is not necessarily that they're going to facilitate projects but that they're just really learning the language that we're talking because I don't know if you can, I'm kind of being more generic in this, in talking with you, but we have our own unique language now that we talk, talk when we use these terms and principles, which is pretty cool. But uh, when you're here and you're part of this team, but, but, you know, it's also kind of confusing when you're talking to people that's outside of our group. So but language is a big deal for us as well. Um, you know, we're trying to, uh, trying to create opportunities for people, and we, tr- we, we encourage people to take initiative. And uh, we have some, and of course, with retention of our, in our employees, we've only had one person to leave out of our product development team since then, and it was for promotion. I guess technically we had two more leave, but they were, all prom- they were promoted internally, um, internal to Interface. So, uh, and, you know, we hold those up as, you know, this is, the, this is how you win. You know, we, we, if you do the right thing, you show initiative, you work hard, you take the training, you apply yourself, you know, then you can, you can get ahead. You know, so, and it's important, I think, that people see good examples like that because, you know, it's, it creates hope and encouragement for people to, to follow along. But the culture piece has been a huge change for us. And uh, I've learned so much through this process that, you know, it's almost like I'm a different person than I was seven or eight years ago now.
1: Yeah. And I think when we met, we were in, I think it was Durango. I can't remember if we were in mm-hmm. training sessions together with Sherpa and learning about scissor continual improvement, mm-hmm. social responsibility. You um, know, we met in uh, offsite. Durango, Colorado, and um, and we've continued to stay in touch and uh, speak at conferences, usually at the same sessions because we're talking about similar topics. Um, so, uh, can you can you share a little bit more on the scissor training and some of the tools and concepts and methods and things that you applied? Uh, just to give people a little overview on that, I'll, I'll link all this stuff up with um, links, and interface, and their success and influencer model and things
2: like that. People want to learn more, but Hey, a lot of this too, you can find on my LinkedIn profile. You can find links and case studies to everything I'm talking about. Kind of get, you see articles that I've published out there just in in random magazines. Uh, So it's an easy way to kind of get a good flavor for it. The Sherpa Institute is the people that I work with. They provide us in our training. Of course, Andre is a mentor for me to, to try to understand and, and we spend a lot of time now trying to actually move forward with some of this, uh, trying to advance it, evolve it, to make it better. So just to give you, this will sound real familiar to Six Sigma or Lean practitioners. You know, we use a, a form of stakeholder engagement, like stakeholder ID and stakeholder mapping in the beginning. We focus on the subjects of social responsibility as seven subjects. So we target those subjects. When we're working on projects, because we want to move, we want to, be, we want to practice this in a socially responsible manner. Um, so we create a clear objective and we use many of the same tools you do in Six Sigma. We look at like X matrix. We use that to actually understand how to link these pieces together. We use project narratives and also uh, project charters, like a lot of other people use. In the focus and function stage, so we use a SWOT analysis. We're, it's bit, we're big with that. Uh, um, we create uh, in, in the objective or the function phase, focus phase, we use what we call a TREES IFR, ideal final result. So think about sometimes you might hear people call that an ideal state or a future state. We look at that, start trying to form that. Uh, we use value function diagrams. FMEAs we call ours SR FMEAs, but uh, but basically it's the same thing as failure modes and effect analysis. Um, like I said in the, uh, we also use several different cause and effect tools like cause and analysis. Um, we use several different like two by two analysis type work materiality analysis and things like that. We use primarily trees T R I Z the theory of inventive problem solving as our primary innovation framework, but we also apply bio-memory effectively as well. And then finally, in the, uh, in the R phase, what we do is uh, rather than say specific tools we use, what we do is we focus on metrics that change behavior. The type, primary goal is what is the behavior we're trying to change and what metric are we gonna use to encourage that change? that makes sense. So those are some of the tools. And I have a, a nice, neat list here that probably would be handy to put out there too. I think yeah, I think you can probably find this on my LinkedIn profile as well without too much yeah, trouble. Yeah. But- uh, I
1: think the, the SOFAR approach is the similar model of Domaic, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a different wording and different, some similar tools, but also additional tools that are good you're working on something broader especially like the stakeholders think it's so critical about understanding all the players involved up front because these issues are broad and that's what makes them challenging and maybe difficult but when we get all the right people together and and understand the voice of all the stakeholders not just your direct customer but your community and your employees and families of the employees you know all those things are relevant and to then be able to understand that early before we get way down and then find out, oh, this isn't going to work and we're getting resistance over here. We've already done all that hard work up front that makes things a little easier to then come up with sustainable solutions that drive actions and results that have a, um, a good systems level impact, right? And it's not oh, yeah. isolated to one area, it's actually helping the environment and the community and the employees and the culture and the bottom line results. Like, I think that's it's a shift in kind of even more upfront planning and understanding of what's going on so that you can end up with much more powerful, successful results. But uh, you have to have that desire to want to impact right. those areas. And that's where, mm-hmm. unfortunately. We, so not there
2: you, know what's, you know what's interesting about this, too, is that one of the and I explain this you know because I, I sp- you know I speak about this a lot and one of the ways you know you have to kind of get to the point I know it's hard if you believe I can get to the point but nevertheless <laughs> so one of the things up front um, the, one of the big differences I noticed between the MAIC, the MAIC focuses on the customer you know it's, it's, it's customer centric and focused so one of the big advantages in sofa is that when you consider the needs of more than you know the customer is a stakeholder but then there's many more. What happens is is that really opens up the options for innovation and continuous improvement. Because a lot of times, or at least I always felt practicing like DMAIC and Lean Six Sigma, you know, that that I was kind of confined because, you know, it had to be around the customer, right? But there's many paths to success once you kind of broaden it out to look at and, and absorb all of the stakeholders. Plus, facilitating this type of method and getting in a broader group of stakeholders to facilitate—I know you can do that with Domaic as well, but uh, but when you bring in a broader group, like I was talking about bringing in design and marketing, and uh, and in some of these areas that are, were unfamiliar to me when I was in operations, then you get a very different group of perspectives and you get a much broader ability. You know how when you practice value stream mapping or process mapping, one of the big benefits when you practice that is that everybody gets to the same level of understanding by the end of it, right? Or similar similarly, you, you kind of even it up. Well, it's the same thing here, but even broader. So there's a much broader appreciation for other skill sets and work and much less of a tendency to minimize it or to, or to minimize someone's knowledge because it's not like your knowledge. So it really gives you an opportunity to include and to amplify voices. And just like any other good facilitator, right? You get in this, you get in here when you got people that are quiet. We have only we only have a few rules for this, but one of them is if you attend, you have to participate. We don't allow spectators, and that's not unique to us, you know, or to our method. But because we want your input and you should be here because you want to be here, not because you're required or or you feel compelled or you trying to report on this to someone else who might have sent you. You know, you need to be a participant if you're gonna be here and actively engage. So so yeah, it it has a it, there's a there's a big difference. And and then again, one of the other big differences in my opinion from practicing this and to make is at the end, the metrics focused on behavioral change, having a few metrics that are that are very much focused on changing the behavior that again, remember it's is focus, right? The, the, the F is for focus and function. So in part of our training, in one of our special courses, innovation specialist course, um, we're taught how to create functional models. So when we talk about function, we literally are talking about like functional programming. We're going to target a very specific component or functional group of functions. And we're going to focus our efforts because, you know, a shotgun doesn't have much effect at a hundred yards and your rifle does. So what we do is we'll pick out a very few things that we carefully measure you know create lots of ideas and then we evaluate them brutally. And we get the ideas that, you know, are the, or, you know, just to use some of the common criteria that impact the most stakeholders, but involve the fewest. Because, you know, the more stakeholders you get involved, the harder it is, right? That's
1: right? And they
2: cost the least, and they give us the most bang for our buck. And then, of course, we talk about, is this going to advance socially responsible principles? Is this a sustainable solution? Can you Can you say that this solution provides economic environmental and social value it's just a yes or no question so these are all criteria we've used because we've run probably over the last eight ten years seven years this just be conservative so seven years we probably have ran 45 or 50 formal projects in this manner that we you know remember about practicing this and getting better at it and, uh, and we've had a whole battery of criteria to measure these solutions. I mean, we want to get those ones that are the best solution, the sustainable solutions, uh, ones that really make a difference in that way, because if we're going to be a sustainable company, how can we not be implementing sustainable solutions, right? And it's got to be including the social piece. And from my own personal experience, I had a huge gap in understanding of the social piece. And now that I understand this, I very much now, I feel like uh, I am enabled. Matter of fact, I say that most projects I work on are just purely, I focus on the social aspects first, whereas in the past, you know, I would avoid those social problems. And matter of fact, I say this in a lot of places I speak, I go as far as to say this, this is a challenge to people, you know. I know personally, I've seen many capital projects be put in place and approved so that, so that you know people wouldn't have to deal with, with social issues. You spend capital to avoid social problems and clearly it doesn't work, right? You've seen it before too, I'm sure. Everybody has, I think. And you say, why, why they do that? And they say, oh, it's gonna solve this customer problem. And you're like, I ain't gonna solve that problem. And it's throwing money down, down a hole, you know, just putting it in a pot, burning it or something. Anyway, so uh, I don't know. I hope I answered your questions about that. I kind of get lost in my own talking.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think that, is there anything else you wanted to discuss or talk around this topic? So I think you hit pretty good summary of Interface and its efforts and sustainability and how you fit into that role and your process improvement background and then bringing it Um, uh, through into early phase development work and then adding in this piece of social responsibility to it and some of the tools and methods there Um, yeah I think it's like I said I don't uh, if I know of other people or maybe people watching this or listening to this have some similar background let's reach out to Billy and and make that connection because I don't think there's a lot of people doing that yet and I think that's you've you've already shared why that's so important, and why it's so powerful. Um, And so I
2: think it's awesome and it's exciting. Well, uh, and and here's the thing is I would love for people to, to understand how to do this because, and the reason I would like for other people to understand this because it's been such a blessing to me. I mean, I feel very confident in my ability to solve problems. It doesn't matter which realm of sustainability it's in now you know and, and and that wasn't that this wasn't true 5 years ago you know i was still just beginning to learn how to use this and and i believe in individuals who practice this or who learn this it really increases your self assurance and your confidence of being able to to truly engage with problems that are complex especially socially complex problems which people tend to avoid it it gives you confidence to engage, knowing full well that there are solutions out there that can be put in place and that if you're willing to go the distance and put in effort, there's a method that can actually help you be successful along these lines. You know, everything's about effort, right? If you just want to want to put the effort in, I can mm-hmm. be, you know, a rock star and have a great guitar skills. if I want to spend ten hours a day playing the guitar, but I don't want to do that.
1: That's right. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, I think I, I've shared everything that I want to. If people want to talk with me about this, I, obviously, you can tell I like talking about it. I'm very passionate about it. Um, and I, I think it would be a big benefit for a lot of people. And you're right. I do think this is an emerging skill set. I see more and more evidence that, you know, this is this is a great way. And I, I'm very grateful to the Sherpa group for, for and 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 god for putting me in the right place and right time to get this done you know um because it has been a big blessing to me and to others and uh, it gives you a a a much better sense of wouldn't say self-worth but uh maybe that's the right word it gives you uh it it gives you the ability like uh to understand problems, and, uh, and I have no fear of, of problems or problem statements. It's just a matter of which one I want to spend my time working on today. And, and as I said, I do tons of coaching and mentoring of the groups that, you know, we got people practicing at all sorts of levels with this. And, uh, of course, that's good for them. Uh, one thing I didn't mention that we focus on a lot, but this might be important. We focus a lot on creating mutually beneficial goals goals that are good in this order, goals that are good for the person, their function, the company, and our mission. Just They need to, you know, you can't have something that is unbalanced. Like you can't be saying, Hey, you need to do, you know, take one for the team. Cause that just creates resentment. You know, you can't have somebody doing everything that's good for them. because That's, that's called stealing, you know? So, uh, so you gotta have these balanced goals out there. And, uh, the most promising thing about this is almost everybody that we, uh, that we engage internally with this or even externally, you know, of course, a lot of people outside of Interface, um, as a general rule, even if they don't use this method like verbatim when they're doing this, they learn enough to actually be, be it, this improves their practice and it improves it in a socially responsible way or sustainable way. Which I think is really important. Uh, we need more people like like you. Which, by the way, I didn't say this, but clearly I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Lean Six C, but for Good. I thought that was awesome. I think it still is awesome. But your first book, which I, I thought it was really cool, what you put together there, so and kind of a visionary type approach. Because I know you're, a, you know, you try you're out, you're out on your own without the without the an organization to 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 hide behind right so you're kind of putting it out there yourself which is which is pretty brave to do and i think it was a good thing i I think you've done a lot of good impacting and influencing people like me so
1: well no i think that your work and applying and working this and, and learning methods and practice you know i think um that's exciting and i'd love to be at a point where all my projects have a sustainable social responsibility focus on that and I think um, you know like you said it's it feels I I think what came to mind when you were talking about that was kind of like we all want to have an impact right And, and feel like we're making a difference and to know that you know the work you're doing is has all good you know properties to these projects and it's inspiring and probably motivating and makes you feel like it Doing really rewarding work, and I think that's um, on top of the benefits and success you're having with these projects. It's like it's a win win all the way around. And then, yeah, I think um, people should definitely check out your LinkedIn profile, look at your projects, and then connect with you, reach out, ask questions. You're always open to sharing, and that's what I love about people doing a lot of this work is we're just happy to share and talk to people and help them along. So, well, you know, I love to talk. Bless
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, please, please, if anybody's interested, please reach out to me. I'd, I'd be glad to talk to them about it and what we're doing. And you don't necessarily need corporate support. It'd be great if you can get it. But you don't necessarily need corporate support. Like, you, like, okay, you know this because you're doing this your own self to be successful and have a big impact uh, on, on people. And, you know, you don't ever know who you're going to influence and impact who might have a profound, create a really profound change, right? Yep. So uh, so that's one of the reasons to keep doing this type of work. But anyway, and hey, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. I, I love to talk about this, as you can tell. So,
1: <laughs> And I'll put the link to your profile up there, but if they're searching on LinkedIn, what would they type that? Billy Ingram? Billy O. Ingram? William?
2: Yeah, we... as actually so my name is William Oscar Ingram the but if you search for Billy Ingram on LinkedIn you'll get a bunch of hits but if you search Billy Ingram interface you'll only get one all right. so that's the easiest way
1: Billy Ingram interface that yeah. all right and I'll put up your um, all the links we talked about and anything else you think of that might be helpful really appreciate your time it was great connecting again and um, well, sure well, we'll run you. across each other soon and uh, yeah
2: thank you Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate Good to see you.
0: Yeah, you too. Thanks, Billy.
2: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the Lean Forms of Waste and Waste Walks, which stands for Water, Air Emissions, Solid Waste, toxins and energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and lean Kaizen events, and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at lean6sigmaenvironment.org.